Thank you, everybody. It is such a pleasure to be here and uh, to be speaking in this historic place and also to uh, have gotten a chance to see some of the wonderful efforts that Harvard and the Divinity School are making towards greening and recycling and composting. I even got a little tour of the garden, though it was perhaps not the best season here. For <laughs> On the other hand, coming from California, where it's spring now and things are blooming, and it's you know, <laughs> not to make you eat your heart out, but just to say, if you're a farmer or gardener in California, you never get a break. You know, there's no downtime. So sometimes I envy you who live in the snow for that lovely season of being able to turn inward and. Uh, look out at the garden and go, you know, there's nothing I can do today. <laughs> what starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think, don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever, well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? My fellow Americans, it's time to speak out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their name. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. Their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the intersection of the sacred, the spiritual, and uh, the ecological. And to say, I'm going to be talking a bit about permaculture, which is a whole system of ecological design. And one of the things that we talk about in permaculture is uh, the concept of edges, or in biology they call them ecotones, the places where two different systems meet are um, places of great dynamism. Um, they can be places of great tension, but they can also be the most creative, most diverse uh, aspects that kind of create a third system that is often richer than either of the other two. So if you are out there looking to find the deer, 
Uh, the deer don't hang out in the deep, deep forest, and they don't live out in the middle of the plains. What they really like are those places where the meadow meets the woods, where they can go out to graze and go back into the forest for cover. And if you're looking at something like the ocean, um, where the ocean meets the shore, there are all these tremendous places of great richness and diversity and vitality because that connection of those two systems creates so many different niches where different forms of life can live. Um, I often think of that in terms of systems of thought, that when you bring together something like spirituality, ecology, politics, uh, you can create a rich edge that can be sometimes richer than any of those systems can be alone. So that's uh, kind of my where I'm coming from today. And I wanted to begin by just giving you a little background on myself and sort of how I got into this particular combination of things. Um, I came out of the early feminist movement in the six, late 60s and early 70s. Uh, I had been raised Jewish and brought up with a pretty strong Jewish education and background. But that was the 60s, where everybody was experimenting with all kinds of different spiritualities, where uh, one of the interesting edges at that time uh, that people were exploring was that edge where Eastern spirituality met Western spirituality, uh, many different kinds of exciting revolutions in thought, uh, not to mention the revolutions in politics and, of course, always sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which... Uh, are a certain kind of spiritual practice all of their own, I guess. And uh, out of that mix, I started to become aware that for me as a young woman at that time in Judaism, there was sort of nowhere to go with my education. There were, um, I'm talking like 66, 67, there were not only, there were no women rabbis uh, or cantors or... Um, spiritual leaders, but I, I didn't even have like the inkling of a thought in my mind that such a thing was possible. I wasn't even in rebellion about it. Uh, it just wasn't even on my radar screen. Uh, my mother was always in rebellion. <laughs> she was always saying, oh, my brothers got bar mitzvah and I didn't, and I was so angry about it, and I was always... Oh, Mom, that was a long time ago. You know, that was ancient history. Get over it, right? Many years later, we were able to come back together. I'm like, you were right, Mom. <laughs> um, but as I began reading and learning and thinking about feminism, uh, one of the things that started to become apparent to us in those days of exploration was how much religion and religious concepts and our concepts of God and the sacred uh, determined our social relationships and reinforced the idea both that men were supposed to be in power over women, um, but also were connected to a whole series of metaphors in, deeply embedded in our language uh, around how goodness and value was associated with things that are high and light and white and outside of the world and things that were dark and down and dirty and embodied were devalued. 
Um, and you can, I mean, if you can see that when we talk about dirt. You know, you talk about, I'm going to, here at Harvard Divinity School, I'm going to show you dirty pictures. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, and yet, without dirt, we don't live, you know, right? Um, and those metaphors, I think, are also deeply reinforced. Racism, as well as other kinds of divisions, they reinforce a kind of classism because people who work with their hands or work with the dirt or do actual physical things or tend bodies or tend children uh, are devalued compared to people who work with abstractions and manipulate things that don't actually exist. And, uh, <laughs> We can definitely see that right now in our financial crisis that's operating very heavily. So we started to develop that critique in the 70s, and some of us started looking and saying, was there ever anything else? Uh, well, I happen to know that there was something else, because back when in my first freshman year at UCLA, a friend of mine and I had done an anthropology project on witches, and we had run into some people who were actually practicing what they told us was this tradition, this religion that had survived from before Judaism, before Christianity, uh, that was the old pagan, shamanic, earth-based spirituality of Europe and the Middle East. And we kind of went, wow, <laughs> that's really cool, you know. Uh, started learning, started practicing, eventually kind of drifted away from that original group of people, but in terms of the feminist movement, I was like, you know, there's a religion that says there's a goddess, right? That says earth is sacred, nature is sacred, that says sexuality is sacred, women's bodies are sacred, that says me, you know, as a young woman, uh, there are no barriers to my moving forward and taking leadership. And to me, this has something to do with feminism. Well, not too many other people thought that at the time, because most feminist thinkers and writers seemed to feel that religion was the opiate of the people and was inherently oppressive. Um, but I did meet some others. There was a woman in LA named Z. Budapest who had a shop called the Feminist Wicca who had carried on a tradition that had come to her through her family tradition in Hungary. I moved to the Bay Area, met other people, and we began learning and practicing and experimenting. And because a lot of us who came together were <coughs> political activists from the 60s or feminists from the 70s, uh, we practiced our religion in a context that said, you know, hey, if we really believe the earth is sacred, we can't just sit back and let idiots destroy her. We have to do something about it. So part of our spiritual and religious practice must be engagement with these great political and environmental struggles of our time. And if we believe that every human being is an embodiment of the goddess of the sacred, then we can't just sit back and let some people oppress others. You know, we have to be involved in these great social justice struggles of our time. And I'm proud to say that many of us in Reclaiming have been 
um, from that time onward involved in many, many, many different struggles and issues around social justice, peace, and environmental issues. So, <coughs> sorry. Um, time went on, and um, sometime in the late 80s and the early 90s, I met up with a friend who had just taken a course in something called permaculture. And she started telling me about a whole system of ecological design that uh, was based on the idea that if we can observe nature and figure out how nature is working and work in the same way that nature works, we can actually create systems that will meet our human needs while actually regenerating the environment around us instead of destroying it. And I got very interested in that. I thought this is the practical application of the idea that the earth is sacred. And eventually was able to take a permaculture design course myself uh, and um, began teaching it as well. Um, permaculture is a system that was originated by two Australians, Bill Mollison and David Holmgren, um, back in the 70s. Bill was teaching at the University of Tasmania. David was one of his graduate students. They were running around in these amazing Tasmanian rainforests uh, looking at these incredible ecological systems. And they started to ask the question, um, how come nobody has to manage this forest? Over a lifetime, all of us change to an extraordinary degree. From a physical perspective, we start off as a little bundle about 50 centimeters high with cherubic features and elastic soft skin. I, I want you to understand that as yourself at all times, that's the reason you're doing or trying to do a same thing you with you Why go this far? Why try to learn this much? In the intervening period, every single cell in our body will have been replaced, often many times over. So think about it. You laugh, you think, and you cry. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week. You will have gone through all kinds of experiences that perhaps leave almost no trace in memory. Remember, if you think you are wrong, you are And remember, there's no such thing as bad luck. Only lost opportunities. Never, never, absolutely, absolutely never. never. Show yourself. Who am I? I'm a champion. We carry the same name throughout our lives and consider ourselves as a relatively stable, unitary entity. But is it really right to think of ourselves as the same person? Why try to see it all? Why try to have it all? Why do it? Why learn it? Stay angry. Stay English. A standard assumption is that it's our body that guarantees our personal identity. If you think you are inadequate, you are. Now the chance to change. Process all this information. Let me introduce you to yourself. <laughs> 